and safety. Oh my gosh, safety, safety, safety. Welcome to Wheat Pete's Word here on realagriculture.com for Wednesday, December the 11th on this episode of The Word. Dang, I forgot your safety smack from last episode, so that's going to happen this episode. We also have some weed control updates, some cool stuff I got to correct from last fall, and also some new information. Going to talk about plots, and then we will absolutely cover soil tests, and hopefully at the end, also talk about manure. Let's go. First off, do not forget, it is December the 11th. You must, 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 must report your yields into Agricor by December the 15th and that is regardless of if you are done harvest or not. I hope everyone is done harvest but I know everyone is not done harvest. You still have crop in the field. You have to call Agricor, tell them where you're at and the adjuster will work that through with you. I, I really hope that everyone that has crop left in the field really does have crop insurance because man, if you don't have crop insurance and it's still in the field, that just adds to the stress load no doubt about it okay enough on that gonna move on and safety oh my gosh safety 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 so a whole bunch of different things over the last little while and I should have been hitting some of these earlier but I'm gonna hit them now and I want you to think about these things so first off Josh tweeting out you know about climbing bins when there was freezing rain and when it's snow and the roads are crap man trying to go up a leg or whatever make sure that you have a climbing harness and make sure that you use it meanwhile you talk about a climbing harvest and being being tethered off so Dan a couple of weeks ago tweets out this picture they've harvested corn and they've harvested it when there's been snow and ice and they put it in the wet bin and now we got to do something with it and of course what happens well it all lets go from one side of the bin and down into the the sump the the unload auger and all of a sudden there's this 20 foot wall looks like a cliff of corn and layers of snow and ice and fines and it's no longer running into the unload auger so in they go into the bin to try to get that corn down into the unload auger and they're tethered off so good for you Dan but oh my gosh if you look you're down I don't know 12 feet below the the top of that corn pile if ever that let go I don't know that a tether is enough and so please silos are incredibly dangerous use the safety things if you are in a situation like that I don't know what you do you, you figure out how to get a heat hose in there or something so that the, the people don't actually have to go down in there it just really bothers me from that standpoint some other things that are quite astounding everybody wears their seat belt when you're in your car right you are in your pickup truck have to wear your seatbelt or you get a fine if you get caught and plus it's just safe so Stuart from Shedden sends me a, an email saying Peter could you please tell people when you're on the road would you wear the seatbelt in the tractor because apparently I don't know what happened his dad had a very very close call and the seat belt made a huge difference and nobody me included I'm bad for it 
Nobody wears their seatbelt in the tractor going down the road because you don't think you're at risk. That's craziness. If ever the thing rolls, whatever, wear your seatbelt in the tractor. Last, you know, this mud on the road thing, loading on the road, we, we just all do it and we don't think about it. But there was actually in Perth County, the OPP stopped a grower from harvesting one night because of the amount of mud they were dragging onto the road and it made it unsafe for the vehicles. So here's my own story. I'm finishing up my corn there a couple of Saturdays ago and I pulled the pair of wagons out. I've got a small tractor. I know I get stuck with the big wagon a fair bit. So the, they're basically loaded. I thought I could get it all on the other wagons. I pulled them out on the side of the road, just left them there so they couldn't get mired in the mud. And dang it, the corn yielded just that little bit better than I thought. And I had about 40 bushels that wouldn't go on the wagons in the field. So I think, okay, I can sneak out on the road with the combine and dump into those wagons. And there was nobody coming when I pulled out. Of course, you've got to finagle around a wee bit to get just right on to, to hit the wagons. And somebody comes up behind me and the, they seem fine. And this other person comes up towards me. And I was less, th I held that person up less than 30 seconds, but they could not get around me. And that is all bad. And I realized that. But then when I go to pull back into the field out of the way, this guy is just mad as a red hen and pulling around me. And of course, the people behind me are coming through as well. And it was almost an accident. And that would have been my fault, 100%. And I never pull on the road. But we really have to get better than that. So I give a lot of credit to a lot of growers because they're basically putting fill stations along the edges of field. They're putting gravel in there so that the wagons or the truck can park there. They can buggy it up onto the gravel. Then the truck pulls out. There's no mud gets on the road except when the buggy and the combine leave. And by the way, when I put mud on the road, I actually go out with my shovel and shovel it off because it's just one of those optics that I don't think we can live with. And last, if you are loading on the road, for goodness sakes, try not to take up the whole road. I did, my bad. Try not to take up the whole road. But if you're making a mess, if you're leaving piles of fines, and when I talk about piles out of trucks, this is the other thing that's really frustrating. More and more, on gravel roads, on the side of roads, we are seeing piles of corn, of fertilizer, of feed, where they had to clean out the truck and they can't clean it out in the yards anymore because of safety. And they go down the road and then they stop and they open it up and they just dump the piles there. How does that look? What is the public perception of that? For goodness sakes, if you have to do that, carry a shovel, pull ahead and throw that stuff in the ditch. We just cannot have those optics. Plus, somebody's barreling down the road, hits one of those piles that you didn't throw off the road and goes in the ditch and gets hurt. Oh man, come on. We have to do better than that. We simply have to do better than that. Okay, enough on that, but I'm dead serious. We have to start taking safety a little more seriously, and we also have to take our public responsibility, the optics, the public perception more seriously as well. Okay, weed control. First up, 
I was wrong, 100% wrong. I said that simplicity was good on bluegrass in winter wheat, Canada bluegrass. And Francois Tardif, Dr. Francois Tardif, sent me an email saying, Peter, I don't think that's right. I have some citations where that's not, not correct. Now, I had talked with Mike Cobra about that, and he had gotten some feedback from some agronomists that he trusted fairly well that they were getting good control of simplicity on bluegrass. But Mike did his own trial at the University of Guelph at the Allure Research Station. And he thought, oh, this is pretty poor. Maybe a four. I'd rate this a four as at the best. And we need at least an eight and really a nine to call it good control. And so track this down just a little bit further. And guess what? It's all about weed identification. We're Agronomists thought they were getting good control of bluegrass with simplicity. It was not bluegrass. It was cheatgrass. It was downy brome grass. It was some brome species. And yes, simplicity is good on the brome species. But if you actually have bluegrass and you are counting on simplicity, I'm sorry, not going to give very good control in the future. If you have bluegrass, you're planting winter wheat, then focus pre-plant is probably the best thing you can do. Next, Infinity FX. Again, we talked about that last fall. I wanted growers to use it ahead of, of or pardon me, in the winter wheat crop rather. It's uh, labeled for any time the wheat crop has two leaves or more. And Bear pulled back and said, no, we don't think in the fall we don't have the data. Well, they've, they've looked back through. They've gotten comfortable with the data. And so from now on, Infinity FX in the fall, once the wheat has two leaves, they are going to stand behind much, much, much better product for things like sow thistle, perennial sow thistle, Canada thistle, those species. You can only use it once though. So if you use it in the fall, you can't then use it in the spring. You would have to go to some other product. That could be Infinity itself, but Infinity FX only registered for one application. Last on the weed control front, Lindsay saying, hey, Peter, does ensiling kill weeds? And so, Lindsay, the answer is, if the, if the silage gets hot enough, many weed species will die. And don't forget that the silage, it's not just the ensiling, the heat, has some acid, acidity there as well, although a pH of 4 rarely kills the this weed seeds in there. But you get heat treatment, and then you put it through the gut. Most seeds do die. So, Lindsay asked common ragweed. Yep, it will die for sure. But things like velvet leaf, no, they are incredibly resistant. The seeds to, to high temperatures, you can burn them and they still germinate. You don't. So there are some weed seeds that will come through in siling, will come through the gut of, of the cattle beast or the or whatever animal you're feeding it to, and you won't necessarily get control on that. Okay, going to move on quickly onto plots. And please send more plots, but some really cool stuff that I do want to just mention. Al saying, hey, Peter, I know you're a wheat guy. You're going to love this. And yes, Al, I love it. 15 bushels per acre, more corn, where the corn is following a wheat crop when, than where the corn is following a soybean crop. And so that's cool data. I like that now. it's you got to be careful. It's just one field. It's just one comparison. But nonetheless, it does. it's well supported by the research that we, we've done. Gerard doing an excellent trial, sulfur on corn, three replications, two different varieties. So really, you know, three replica replications on each variety, sulfur response. And at the end of the day, yeah, just it's 
it's field variability. You look at it, there is a small numerical advantage to the sulfur treatment on one of the two varieties, nothing at all on the other. It's just field variability. So great data, good that you had the replications there because otherwise you would not necessarily know the answer. Peter, finding a nine bushel, yes, nine bushel yield advantage to Y-drop nitrogen over side-dressed nitrogen. Now this is not at all what we'd expect because the side-dressed nitrogen was put on the same time as, as you would normally put the Y-drop, so it's like shoulder-high corn, and they had one of the rigs that would side-dress at that stage, and Peter was in extremely dry, Bruce Field area extremely dry, and you would think, wow, nitrogen in the ground should be better. But they're only putting it in very shallow. It was still into dry ground. It's in the middle of the row, and so the roots, it's, it's just simply dry. There was a few one to two millimeter rains, and that was enough to take that Y-drop nitrogen and move it into the soil right at the base of the plant where there was still some roots and that little bit of moisture, and so nine bushel yield advantage to the Y-drops in that situation. Absolutely not what we would expect. All right, going to move on from plots other than to say, send more in. P Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N at realagriculture.com. Tweet them to me. Leave me them in the voicemail system attached, however you get them to me. I need that data. That's how I learn and gives me lots more stuff to talk about here on The Word. So what about soil test? Lots of growers saying, like, what's the deal on soil test? Give us a, a direction here. So first off, Claire saying, hey, Peter, like nitrogen rate, uh, do I soil sample? And by the way, I normally leave my corn stalks. This year we bailed my corn stalks off. Does that change my nitrogen rate? And the answer automatically is yes, even without a soil test. And a soil nitrate test, if you're growing corn, a pre-side dress nitrate test is a valuable tool, but it's not the whole answer. Plus any other crop, we're not going to use the nitrogen soil test in Ontario because we simply don't have a calibrated nitrogen soil test. But if you don't have the corn stalks there this year and you normally would have, then you need 30 pounds less nitrogen. Or the other way around, if normally you take them off, it's the same with wheat straw. You leave the wheat straw on, you leave the corn stalks on, then you need some nitrogen to help break those stalks down because they will take the nitrogen first and typically that's an additional 30 pounds. What about soil testing? And the answer, quite simply and easily, is... Yes, 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 you must soil test. You must have a current soil test on every farm or every field that you own or that you work because we are simply indefensible from an environmental standpoint if we don't know what is in the soil. So then the next question becomes, how many soil tests do I take? How do I soil sample? And I'll give you the Johnson rendition. We are gonna put a big push on soil testing. We simply have to get there. Everybody, I don't care, Western Canada, Eastern Canada, the US, every farmer needs to have these current soil tests. The Johnson rendition is that I do not like grid samples because grid samples, we, the computer just puts a bunch of squares in the field and it puts dots, we go sample at the dots. Well, wait a minute. 
When was the last time that you saw a square hill or a square orange or a square anything in nature? And that's the problem with grid sampling. It's still great data, but it ignores some of the, the smarter things we can do. So I'm very much into smart soil sampling and smart soil sampling uses yield zones and it really a lot uses topography. And if you can put topography together with yield and break that field into zones, I think that's much, much smarter. At the very least, I would suggest three samples out of any given field. The low high yield areas, the high, the tops of the knolls, where it's low organic matter, and the faces of the slope. And that way you get a range in terms of, of what is in that field and you can move forward from there. Next, the question is, well, what all do I test for? Do I test for phosphorus, potash, pH, organic matter, like zinc, manganese, sulfur? Well, think about this. I would rather you actually did more tests per field than spent a lot of money per test because in many cases you won't use that that other data like do you actually use the sulfur data the copper data the boron data and the the answer is we absolutely we need potash we need phosphorus because both of those nutrients we buy sulfur there is no sulfur soil test that works dave franzen is clear about that John Lozon's working on it in Ontario, hasn't found anything yet. When it comes to things like zinc and manganese, well, the plant reaction actually tells you more than the soil sample. So once in a while, I would do a complete soil analysis. But realistically, I think more tests, get your phosphorus, get your potash, your pH is critical. Uh, your organic matter, I like to do that once in a while because you track your organic matter through the system. But if you have to decide about how how many tests we do versus the number of simple tests we do in a field do more simple tests because it's the macronutrients that we tend to spend our money on full stop right there and when you get to some of the other soil tests we really don't know how to interpret them at all even though the lab will test for them we don't have a good calibration for that particular test so that's the Johnson rendition have at me challenge me you know I'm sure I'll get some cation exchange capacity some base saturation stuff we can chat about that on a future episode once again, look at that. I am out of time. That's it. That's all. On behalf of the team here at realagriculture.com, this is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, December the 11th. Leave me those plots. Leave me those questions, the feedback, so I'll have lots to talk about, which is exactly what I will do next Wednesday. Talk to you then.